Welcome back to What's the Point of the Midrash, the weekly podcast, or should I say previously weekly podcast, where you take a look at a rabbinic text and offer suggestions to answer the question, what's the point of the Midrash? My name is Rabbi Josh Uter, and it's been a very long time since I've done this. Past couple of months have been eventful to say the least. Uh, lots of good things. Uh, two things most recent that are somewhat pertinent uh, to this podcast is, one, we just had a baby three weeks ago today. His name is Eliezer, and he is very cute. Uh, before that, by about two weeks, we also just moved, and we're still in boxes and trying to get things set up here as well, including trying to remember what all my settings and levels were. And yeah, so if the audio quality is a bit off, I apologize for that. And even when we get back to the Midrash itself, we have a bit of a, what I call a calendrical quirk, where for the next couple of months, I think, we are out of sync, by which I mean the weekly Torah reading in the land of Israel, where I currently live, is not aligned with the weekly Torah reading of those outside of Israel. The reason for this has to do with Yom Tov Sheni, the second day of a festival, where in Israel, when there is a Yom Tov, a festival day, it's only one day, with the exception of Rosh Hashanah, which is always two no matter where you are. But if you're outside of Israel, you keep two days. If this festival happens to fall out on a Friday, as it did with the seventh day of Pesach, well, in Israel, the Shabbat is a normal Shabbat, whereas outside of Israel, it's a Shabbat plus Yom Tov. And you can think, well, that shouldn't matter, except it does for the purposes of the regular Torah reading. So this past Shabbat in Israel, we read Ahremot as if it was a normal Torah reading. Outside of Israel, they read the Torah reading for the last day of Pesach, in this case, the eighth day of Pesach, which even though it was on a Shabbat, wasn't the Parshat of Ahremot, the weekly Torah reading. So instead, Israel this week is going to be reading Kedoshim, the next one. America is going to be doing Ahremot. And it's going to be like this, I believe, until August, uh, specifically August 6th, where we, are, uh, where we line up again for Devarim. And uh, on the previous week, uh, the 30th of July, it's uh, Matot and Mase uh, are going to be read together in the diaspora outside of Israel, whereas in Israel, it's just Parshat Mase. And after that, starting on August 6th, we're back on the same schedule. In the meantime, uh, when I keep doing this, and I really hope to get back to the regular schedule, I'm going to be following the Israeli calendar. One, because that's where I am, and this is where my head is at in terms of the weekly Torah reading. But also, if someone is listening outside of Israel, okay, so it's technically a week ahead. You can always go back and listen to it and think about it for that coming week. So you can think of it as dropping a little bit early for where you happen to be. So this week, we're going to be discussing a Midrash on Parshat Kedoshim, specifically from Vayikra Rabbah 24.5. Midrash goes as follows. Tana Rebichia. Rebichia teaches, Parasha Zo Neemra Behakel that this parasha, this section of the Torah, referring to Vayikra Leviticus 19, is recited or read as part of the mitzvah of hakel, the gathering. And for those unfamiliar, this is a special Torah reading that's read at the end of a Shemitah cycle uh, when everyone goes up uh, to Jerusalem for the festival of Sukkot. Everyone comes and there's this special public Torah reading that includes 
what we're going to read in this week's Parsha from Leviticus 19. So Rabbi Chia gives an explanation why specifically this passage is included for Hakel, because you figure this is a pretty big deal. To my knowledge, this is the only real biblical commandment of a public Torah reading. can explain more, but that's a little bit more off topic. So if you're going to pick one biblically commanded passage to read in front of the entire nation at the end of a Shemitah, yeah, what you're going to pick, you would assume, has very great significance. Rabbi Chi explains that the reason why this particular passage from Leviticus 19 is taught is that most of the body or content of Torah depends on it. In slight contrast, Rabbi Levi says, because the Ten Commandments are collected within it. This is the opinion we're going to spend some time talking about, because what Rabbi Levi does is he sets up parallels from all of the Aserah to Dibrot to verses in this chapter that we read this week from Vayikra Leviticus 19. And what we're going to do is go through each of the pairs and see how they line up against each other. Let's start with the first one. Shemot, Exodus 20, verse 2, Anochi Hashem Alokecha, I am the Lord your God. And it's written here, Ani Hashem I am the Lord your God. Now, I translated these two phrases the same because for all intents and purposes, they do mean the same in terms of lining up the differences. You have Anochi in Shmot versus Ani here. And you'll find some later derashot uh, explanations as to what the difference is between Ani and Anochi. I'm not up on the uh, philology, the origins of each word to know how did one develop and what might the semantic range mean that's a little bit different. Uh, the other difference you see between these two is Elokecha versus Elokechem, your God in the singular that we have in the Ten Commandments versus Lord, your God, plural, that we have in Leviticus 19. Does that make a substantive difference? I don't know, because you find some uh, back and forth with uh, some commandments about whether or not it's written in the second person singular versus plural, but it's something that's interesting to point out. Uh, could be the difference here of making it in the plural is lends it a little bit better to Hakel to this great public reading. Next, we have from Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments, You shall have no other gods before me. That's the only part that's really quoted in the Midrash here, but the subsequent verses are also irrelevant, where it says, You shouldn't make for yourself a sculpted image or any likeness of what is in heavens above or earth below or in the waters under the earth. Don't bow down to them, don't serve them. And here we see again, I am the Lord your God, etc. In this week's Parsha, Vayikra Leviticus 19, we're don't make for yourself graven images, which basically is uh, the same thing, but a bit more condensed instead of several verses. It's in one. We can parse out what does it mean about bowing down and all, but here it's don't make for yourself these forms, but it's not just forms. It's at Elohei Masecha, specifically to be worshipped as deities. Moving on to the third commandment. Lo tisat shem Hashem 
Do not swear falsely by the name of your God, because God will not uh, clear someone who swears falsely by God's name. And the parallel in Leviticus 19 is from verse 19, 12. You shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am Hashem. It's again, very similar type of language. There are a couple of differences here about Sheker and Lashav. Uh, here in Leviticus, there's the additional thing of you are profaning God's name. Next up, from Exodus 28, Zachor Yom HaShabbat, to remember the Sabbath, Uchtiv Hacha, and it's written here in Leviticus 19.3, at Shabbatotai Tishmoru, that you shall observe or keep my Shabbatot. Note two things here. One, the order that these commandments are listed in Leviticus 19 in this Midrash are out of order, that it's following the order of the Aserah to Dibrot, whereas in Leviticus 19, it's all over the place. Two, something that's really interesting to point out here is that the parallel this Midrash makes is to the Ten Commandments written in Exodus as opposed to Devarim, uh, Deuteronomy, where there, for the commandment for Shabbat, it's written as Shamor, which is the same root as what's mentioned here at Shabbatotai Tishmoru. So here the parallel is between the Zahor and the Shamor, if you will. And it's interesting to me that Rabbi Levi would pick the Aserah to Dibrot, the text of the Ten Commandments, that doesn't line up quite exactly for this particular one. Could have just as easily cited the one in Deuteronomy and Tvarim, but instead he picked the one Zachor that parallels Shabbat. Maybe it was intentional that these two things don't line up 100%, but rather is enough of a hint towards it. Moving along, in Exodus and the Ten Commandments, Kabed Mecha, you should honor your mother and father, and it's written here in Leviticus, Ish you should fear your mother and father. And there's a lot discussed on not only the difference between Kabed and Tirau of to honor and to fear but also the order in which the parents are mentioned. Where in the Ten Commandments, the father comes before the mother, so honor your father and mother. But here it's ish imo you fear your mother and your father, where the mother is listed first. In Exodus, in Ten Commandments, lo you should not, you, I'm sorry, should not, you cannot murder, do not murder. Uchtiv hacha, and it's written here, lo ta'amod al damreyecha, do not stand over the blood of your fellow. And what's interesting here is now we've got, I think, one of the starkest differences that we've seen so far that's more than just a subtle change. Where here, the difference between lo tirzach, do not murder, is something that is an active role that you take. Lo ta'amod al damreyecha means you don't just stand over the blood of your fellow. This is not just actively killing someone. This is a prohibition against passively standing by and watching someone die, which to me is a fairly big deal. Uh, in Shmot, Ten Commandments, Lo Tinaf, do not commit adultery. Here it's written, Mot Yumat HaNoef VaHaNoefet. In Leviticus 20.10, Sherlock uh, put to death the adulterer and the adulteress. The punishment isn't listed in the Ten Commandments, just says Lo Tinaf, don't commit adultery. Here we're told, you know, you're supposed to kill them because it's a capital offense. 
And noteworthy on this one is that you will find in the Torah, at least certain Midrashim, that you need an explicit prohibition to teach you something, even if a punishment is already listed. One example that comes to mind with this is Shofech Dam Ha'adam Ba'adam Damo Yishafech from Genesis, that uh, he who sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. And later we see Lo Tirzach, do not commit murder, which we just talked about. And Midrash on there says, well, you need both because one might be the punishment, but you still need the prohibition to be stated explicitly that you're not allowed to do it. Next up, Lo Tignov, thou shalt not steal from the Ten Commandments, Uchtivach, and it's written here, Leviticus 19, 11, Lo Tignovu, do not steal. Now, difference here is just tigno versus tignovu. And here you can say, well, this seems kind of redundant. Is there any distinction between them? Gemar and Bava Metzia 61b says, well, both are necessary uh, in that it's not just you are not allowed to steal in all contexts. You're also not allowed to steal just to aggravate or annoy the victim. And you're not allowed to steal even if you do so to pay the double payment. Uh, in Jewish law, there are actually two types of theft. There's geneva and gezela. One is uh, geneva is the cat burglar type of thing where you break into someone's house and you steal, as opposed to gezela, which is more like uh, mugging someone. And the difference between them in terms of punishments is if you are a gazlan or gozel, where you steal someone through mugging, you just pay back whatever you stole. But you, if you are ganav and you break into someone's house and steal in private, you get fined something called kefel. You actually pay back double because that is a punishment for being more concerned about other people catching you than you are with God who's looking over. So let's say you wanted to do this Geneva thing because you want to give the person extra money. No, you're still not allowed to do that. Next up from the Ten Commandments, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in Leviticus 19.16, we see Don't be a talebearer amongst your people. Here, there's an interesting distinction as well, where in the Ten Commandments, it's an aid shaker. It's about testifying falsely. And usually you think of testimony, you think of a court case, something very official. Here, it's not really that anymore. Here, it's um, you know more of just gossiping about other people, even in informal settings. And finally, the prohibition of lo tachmod beit of not coveting the house of your fellow, lo tachmod eshet reyach, or your neighbor's wife, their slaves, uh, their livestock, and whatever they have. So the prohibition against uh, coveting. What's the parallel in Leviticus 19? You should love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule. And of these, this to me is one of the most fascinating ones because you have almost, I, I think, the greatest degree of editorializing that you can find subtle differences between a lot of the ones that were mentioned. But here, not coveting, how's that referenced here? Love your fellow as yourself. And you could just as easily say, Vaftalericha Kamocha should apply to a whole bunch of the other things too, because it's such a generalized rule that would uh, ap easily apply to things like murder and theft and false testimony and stuff like that. But here, it's specifically reserved for not coveting what someone else has. And I think there's some very interesting commentary to be said here about the connection between being jealous of someone or coveting and loving them. 
But at any rate, you have all of these parallels that are set up here between the Ten Commandments and Leviticus 19, which according to Rev. Levy is why we read uh, Leviticus 19 during Hakel. Now you may be wondering, you may have even wondered when I first introduced this at the very beginning, that according to Rev. Levy, if the whole point of reading Leviticus 19 at Hakel is because the Aserah to Dibrot are parallel to it, well, why not just read the Aserah to Dibrot? Just read the Ten Commandments themselves and you're good to go. Off the top of my head, I can think of two possible answers. One is based off of the Yushalmi in Brachot, uh, chapter 1, Halacha 5, uh, 3c in that pagination, where Rav Matna and Rav Shmuel Bar Nachman both say that by law, we were supposed to read as part of the liturgy the Ten Commandments every day. And the reason why we don't do that today as part of the liturgy is because of the complaints of the sectarians. That it's only the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses at Sinai. Because if you're going to say the Ten Commandments every single day, you can give the impression, well, these are more important than the rest of Torah. Uh, Maimonides Rambam has a really wonderful, in my opinion, hilarious and my favorite truva of all time, responsa on why we don't stand for the Ten Commandments when they're read in synagogue, even though if you go around today, many places do. I personally don't. But even setting that aside, this is the reason why, that you don't want to treat the Ten Commandments as being uh, superior or more important than the rest of the Torah because, well, it isn't. If everything comes from God, then all of God's commandments are equally, well, commanded by God. And it's not even just a matter of, you know, severity of, well, this gives you this punishment, this gives you that punishment, you have to follow all of them. And it's possible that the reason why we would pick Leviticus 19 is because of the Aserah uh, uh, Dibrot is you get all the content of the Aserah Dibrot, but because you're reading it from a completely different passage, you're not going to have that issue of reading uh, from Hakel in a public reading in this major thing. It's not going to be one that people can just point to, well, you pick this section because this was given by God as opposed to everything else. It's also possible that the subtle differences that we've been mentioning might be more relevant to the people at large. When you only have like one shot to teach Torah to the entire nation, you're going to pick stuff that may be more specific and more relevant to the people at hand who are, who are uh, listening to you. The best analogy I can think of for this is if anyone knows of the Torah Tidbits newsletter that uh, the OU Orthodox Union in Israel puts out, they would have a thing called mitzvah density. Uh, how many mitzvot, how many commandments are listed in a particular parsha? And it could very well be that just from Leviticus 19, which is incredibly dense, the way that the Ten Commandments are paralleled here contain a little bit more information such that you're packing more content in in a limited uh, span of time. So you read this, average person might be aware of, oh yeah, sure, these are the Ten Commandments, but it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments plus a few little extra details that you can cram in because again, you've got one shot in you know seven years to teach the entire nation all at once. You wanna maximize your return of how much Torah you can get in. So not only is Leviticus 19 really full of a whole bunch of mitzvot, but you get to reference the Ten Commandments with a little bit extra sauce and a little bit extra spice. Anyway, 
These are my thoughts on what I think the point of the Midrash is, but I'd love to hear yours. What do you think is the point of the Midrash? Please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at jayuter, also on Facebook, or send me an email via my website, www.joshuter.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and a wonderful Shabbat. Thank you.